Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Into the Unknown. Uh, just me and Connor today. We're back to uh, back to the original, shall we say? Solo. How's how's things, man? Things are good. Uh, apartment is all sorted. We're actually flying back this week to the UK, which is cool. So by the time that everyone hears this, we'll actually be back in in well, not London, but we'll be back in the UK for a brief period of time. Um, so looking forward to catching up with everyone. And oh, no, uh, you, uh, you made such a big deal about leaving, but actually you weren't gone for that long. <laughs> no, no, we've been gone for five weeks. And then by the time we come back, we'll be back for six, but in six weeks time after we get back for Christmas, we're basically never leaving. Um, no, it's just in and out. It's a busy yeah. boy. But, but it's th- this time of year with competitions and Christmas and all that sort well, of stuff. Exactly. Um, um, and on the topic of competitions, because you're coming back for people who don't know, you're coming back for actually a couple of weightlifting competitions, aren't you, that you're both competing in and coaching in. Indeed, um, we are, yeah. And on the topic of weightlifting and competing, and yeah, sports in general, today we're going to talk about doping. It's going to jump straight <laughs> into it. Just hit them hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it doesn't, this topic needs no introduction, man. Um, yeah. You know, performance enhancing drugs historically how prevalent it's been both in well obviously used by athletes not interestingly not just you know elite athletes not just the top athletes but kind of across the board but also sort of systematically you know how um different countries and and their sports medicine doctors and and you know sports systems have kind of been complicit if not leading these i suppose doping programs we can call them um and yeah we've seen them historically we see them now and we see them i think throughout a very wide range of different sports and i think the reason of that is because you know there's a wide range of different drugs there's a wide Mm. range of different ways that you can enhance your performance through drugs um and I think obviously with WADA, uh, the World Anti-Doping, you know, they try their best to kind of regulate and control and limit the amount of, you know, doping and substance use in regard to performance enhancement and Mm -hmm. and in regard to sports. And, you know, we've seen, uh, I think a lot through the media, um, athletes that have been quite severely negatively impacted health-wise. Um, through performance enhancing drugs. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of you coach and compete in weightlifting and it's it's pretty big there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, sport is, is you know, where there's, where there's money involved, where there's prestige involved, say like winning and losing, there's always going to be that element of, you know, people want to be the best at, at all costs. And to be honest with you, I think that is, aside from, talk, you know, we're going to talk a little bit at the end about the kind of ethics of, 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 of whether, you know, doping in sport will ever go away and so on and so forth. But 
I think ultimately when there's money and prestige involved, that really is what the driving forces of why doping is now um, maybe lucrative is not the right word, but of why it's so prevalent in so many different sports. And, you know, people single out Olympic weightlifting for obvious reasons. I think more often than not, uh, the use of PEDs, um, like performance enhancing drugs, especially the likes of um, steroids, um, human human growth hormone or HDH, um, you know, even stuff like testosterone, they historically, um, and I'm not speaking from experience, have been easier for people to get. Where are you? Or am I? Um, And case in point, when I was playing football in uni, uh, I knew of a couple of my, my, well, I wouldn't call them friends, but my teammates uh, who were actually taking uh, anabolic steroids. I don't know what type. uh, And more than one occasion, I was offered um, to, to, to take drugs. Um, why I have never done that. I've had this conversation with many of my weightlifters is because for me, it wasn't worth the risk. And yes, I do want to win, but winning at all costs, whether that means taking drugs or I suppose blurring the lines and say cheating, which I know that we're probably going to get into for me was not worth it. Um, and so I completely understand why people might do it. Um, not to say that that's, that's a right or wrong thing, but ultimately if it's your choice, it's worth understanding the risks associated with that. Uh, you know, and I'm talking from a health perspective, we're not going to get into the physiology of things because we don't know enough. You know, I've never taken drugs and I don't, I'm not a physiologist, so I can't begin to explain to you how things work and how, um, steroids help actin and myosin bind stronger and blah, blah, blah. You know, I know enough, but not enough to actually take it or to tell someone to take it. Uh, and I never would because it's, yeah it's dumb. yeah i mean yeah. before we get into the juicy stuff i suppose at least for me you know the whole ethics around it i take quite a big interest yeah, in it sure. uh, as well as you know from an academic perspective you know mm-hmm. and i've actually worked with quite a lot of uh, ethicists bioethicists um, the likes of john harris and Sylvia Caparisi, who who were both very involved in the sort of academia side of sports ethics and sports medicine ethics Mm. and um yeah i mean it's it's a really interesting area of of discussion um as to why you brought out you know people can quite quickly just uh you know branch um or or kind of yeah put together doping and cheating and I mean, I, I don't know if it's that straightforward, but before we get into all that, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm just interested, you know, to hear what your kind of, as well as your first experiences seeing um, doping or anything like that has been like, for me, I think what hit me the hardest was the whole thing with Lance Armstrong. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, you know, we were both, we would have been teenagers at that time. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how old I was, maybe you know, 15 or 16, but, yeah. you know, I, I was a big fan. I, I, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't an avid, uh, avid watcher of cycling. I mean, yeah. it, it's a bit long, um, <laughs> but, 
you know, I yeah. knew who Lance Armstrong was. And obviously he had such an inspirational story of, of yeah, his comeback after testicular cancer and just mm. everything he's achieved over the years. A number of times he's, he's won um, the Tour de France as, as well as many other tours. And then, but then it was just such a, I suppose such a shaking moment when he, you know, went on to Oprah and admitted. To, oh, yeah. You know, taking drugs. I forgot and, about that. Yeah, you know, everything, you know, EPO, trans, uh, blood transfusions, just everything mm. that he previously denied. Yeah. And denied and denied blindly for years, um, you know, in front of, in front of courts, in front of uh, the media, you know, just, yeah. I mean, it was just a complete 180. And that was just quite a, I don't know. I, I think prior to that, I had a very idealistic, view of what sports was and what sports should be especially professional sports and watching these sort of inspirational characters break through and make comebacks and yeah. just perform and, and then realizing that actually yeah this guy did all those things but he's also been lying to everyone this entire time and has been giving himself a sort of unfair advantage mm. um in the form of in the form of doping i mean i don't know how unfair it was because you know if you look back they couldn't award his medals because normally they they give medals to the the next person um yeah. you know the, yeah. whoever came second or third and so forth but i think for most of them like you look down the list and the top 10 were all on drugs yeah um which just i suppose goes to show how how prevalent it is in cycling and you know like you say with your experiences uh with your football team you know i remember the gym that i went to as a teenager shout out power gym in hong kong um it was like this really old school bodybuilding gym from the 80s and i remember going in i was a scrawny little kid um and just these massive absolutely jacked nepalese guys they were they were all security guards as well um, they always and they're all just working out and you know they're friendly guys we chatted they would spot me and all that and then just casually at the, they weren't changing rooms so we just kind of got changed like on the bench or something and so this guy was finishing up the session and he was he was getting changed and uh, changing his top and he took his top off and then just got a needle out of his bag just completely casually and just injected injected himself and i was like oh what's that it's like you know, this Nepalese guy, four times my size, uh, with this tiny needle. I was like, oh, what do you, what's that? And he just looked at me and was like, growth hormones, brother. It's <laughs> 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 oh, like, nice. And that was sort of my nice. first, first hand experience. But yeah, what about you? Oh, yeah. I mean, apart from, um, apart from a kind of, you know, football experience, and I'm talking about American football, not like, soccer if we do have any americans listening i know most of the people that listen are in the uk um i mean i've never really had any experiences of that in weightlifting more so it's been you know hearing about it from uh multiple sources on the internet people uh you know this person's been popped or this person's been popped or a whole country's been banned because you know, they lost their testing data and, and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, doping as a whole has been in sport for a lot longer than a lot of people generally realize. 
you mentioned the whole Lance Armstrong thing. And actually, I remember very vividly that, that was the first time that I ever, because that was around, God, I don't even know when it was. Um, I think it was around 2012, wasn't it? When, like, the whole, when, when he went out, on Oprah Winfrey. 2013. Um, January 2013. Okay. Yeah. So 2013, but he'd been doing that probably since 2004, 2003. No, I remember no 1999, bro. Oh my gosh. Like okay, way so, yeah. before he was racing for Sky. And yeah. Which is mental. Um, you know, and w- what's actually really interesting. So you, you bring up Lance Armstrong and, and I kind of dove into the history of this a little bit. And interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you know this, but in the 1930s, PEDs were actually ex- accepted practice in the Tour de France. Um, and when the race changed to national teams that were paid by the organizers, uh, the rule book distributed to the riders reminded the riders that drugs weren't among the items that they would be given. So they actually, <laughs> uh, they actually openly allowed it. They didn't yeah. discredit it. They didn't say you can't take it or you can take it. They just went, by the way, you're not going to be given drugs. So you have to bring your own. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, well, I remember int- even just, yeah, with that, just you see clips from, I don't know if it was the 1930s or 40s, and they're just cycling along and then they stop for a beer and then keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's I mean, it was a much different landscape back then. Wasn't oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, um, so just kind of, I want to go go into the history a little bit because I this after sort of we you know we decided we wanted to sort of do this podcast and dig into sort of doping and the ethics of it. I thought it'd be interesting to actually go into the history a little bit. So aside from the 1930s, and obviously when we talk about doping, we're talking about modern day, right? So the 20th, 21st century. But the thing is, doping has been around since. Probably there's there's reports that it, it happened in ancient Greek times. Now, I don't know if they had the science to be able to um, develop uh, steroids and human growth hormone. But the fact that, you know, doping is not just about taking steroids or taking hormones or testosterone. It's also about blood doping, uh, euthiopiotine. Um, even in other sports, we know we're talking about endurance and strength-based sports, but even stuff like beta blockers that block pain, um, you know, that slow your reactions down, or it maybe even speed up your reactions by taking stuff like amphetamines and stimulants. You know, there's a whole host of things that you can do to improve your performance based on the type of sport that you're doing. And obviously weightlifting is very commonly known. People are just going to leave the podcast now and given all these fresh ideas of what <laughs> they can do. Wait, so Love you're it. telling me I don't just have to take <laughs> steroids. You know, obviously we're talking about cycling, stuff like blood doping, euthiopiotine, even maybe anabolic steroids to help you recover faster. Um, but in terms of other sports, cycling would be great for that. Weightlifting, obviously strength sports, you know, steroids are great for that for enhancing uh performance but what did they do in the ancient greek times actually look and apparently they use very they use this is a direct quote from a journal various brandy and wine concoctions and ate hallucinogenic mushrooms and sesame seeds to enhance their performance apparently and it goes on to say 
Even in nice. ancient times, doping was considered unethical. And I know that we're going to get into the ethics. And I thought that was a really interesting point that apparently the reason, uh, like the fact that they, they deemed it as unethical in ancient Greece, apparently people that were identified as cheaters were sold into slavery. <laughs> so it, you know, we talk about modern day. It's doping. big deal, man. <laughs> yeah. We talk about modern day doping. You know, it's not just about taking steroids and so on and so forth. You've got, you know, even things like heroin, cocaine, marijuana, caffeine, you know, some, some of that sort of stuff used to be, used to be classed as, and some of them still is caffeine is no longer. Um, some of them are still classed as there's uh, a limit on the amount of caffeine you can have in your system. There is, there's also a limit um, on the amount of testosterone and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. But to go into a little bit more of the history. Um, so obviously being a weightlifter, I was very interested in different types of training. Uh, do you know Charles Poliquin? Yeah. Yeah. He's the, uh, the strength he's a big guy. guy. Yeah. Well, he was, he's dead now. Um, yeah, coached. Um, am I correct to say you coach karate athletes? Maybe to a top level. Maybe um, gold yeah. medals and stuff. Yeah, karate, or taekwondo, or something. Yeah. So I think he was one of the first people that popularized uh, GVT, which I'm sure a lot of people know what GVT is: German volume training. Um, and when I first heard the about Poliquin method, the poly oh, it's called the Poliquin. That's what it's called, is it? Um, when I first heard about it, I was like, what's called German volume training? And I guess it transpires that back in the 1950s, uh, or I guess it would be the seventies actually for, so East Germany had a massive state sponsored doping program. You know, they were, they were, and it, it, this is completely documented. I'm, this is not unfounded evidence. You can go and read this yourself. I'm not going to bother going into all the details, but Essentially, they got away with it for years. They got away with it for about 10 years, actually. Um, and over that time, they won a lot of gold medals. Now, when the Berlin Wall fell and East Germany and West Germany had a little bit of a tussle. Um, now, this is not a history lesson. It, <laughs> they found out that all of these people were taking drugs and it had been covered up. Um, and Not only that, they found out that, you know, the government was yeah. involved in and they were leading the whole sort of For doping sure. program and it got all the way to you know to the point where the stasi was involved yeah for sure yeah and i, I you know it also goes to the point of you know fast forward to modern times when the soviet union or russia now obviously uh was also found that they were state-sponsored doping in sochi uh, and were reprimanded in 2014 to the point where their whole team was not cancelled um you know they were banned for the whole for the whole olympic cycle um and i'm not just talking about athletes i'm talking about the whole country was banned from competing obviously they found ways around that in terms of um what was it the russian, they were, olympic, russian federation. olympic federation and so on and so forth and, and whatever olympic committee or something exactly um Obviously, this hasn't just happened in Olympic sports. You know, I don't know if you remember a high-profile case. Uh, did you even know this about Diego Maradona taking um, epinephrine in and no, being caught in the 1994 World Cup? Um, I didn't know that at all either. And after doing this history dive, um, yeah, I mean, 
it's absolutely mental that this has been around for pretty much since sport has has earned people money, which I guess is an interesting point because ultimately that is what drives most people because we do live, and I know Karl Marx will love this, we live in a very capitalist society. You know, a lot of things, pretty much everything, is ran by capitalism. The fact that people like to earn money. Look, and you, you say that, and I'll let you make your point, but just to point out the fact that, you know, this is after we just mentioned the Soviet Union and yeah. East Germany, both yeah. non-capitalist societies. That's very, very true. Um, yeah, I mean, also potentially one of the reasons why those uh, unions fell and are no longer existing, but... That's not a conversation for, <laughs> we're not talking about that now, because I definitely won't win that, not against Yushuan and, and his uh, knowledge of all of that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know if you heard about the Balco scandal. There's actually a Netflix doc- documentary no, about it. No, no. Um, so there's a Netflix documentary about it. Basically, I, th- I can't remember what the Balco scandal stands for. It's something like Bay Area Laboratory of something. Um, and it was basically a lab that were doping loads of athletes. Most commonly, it was baseball players. Um, Barry Bonds, who was probably one of the best baseball players of his time. And this was pretty recent, like in the 2000s, 2003 to 2007. There's a really interesting documentary about it, actually. And baseball have been, in particular, um, in particular the um, MLB, obviously, uh, the, like I guess the national governing body were reprimanded because they had no anti-doping uh, regulations, which is <laughs> it's crazy. People could have been getting away with this for absolutely years. Um, so I guess like you know the history of doping has been around for ages is is basically what we're trying to say. Now, I guess the the question I want to ask you is, you know, kind of close to home. I guess you've asked me about doping and weightlifting and so on and so forth but what i'm personally really interested in is you know there are a whole host of different performance enhancing drugs that you can take but surely there are some sports that don't do doping or are yeah yeah absolutely i I mean uh we're, we're every sport is obviously under some kind of scrutiny with anti-doping agencies uh mostly wada you know for us it's wada um where they come and take your piss and but yeah generally speaking um you know obviously <laughs> i suppose um well, we can generalize it by saying you know some sports require more of a physical edge yeah you know like or you know certain physical attributes and elements make a much bigger difference in in your performance directly, whereas other sports are a lot more skill-based. Yeah. Um, and I'd say equestrian is the latter, you know. Um, obviously, physicality matters for both the rider and the horse, actually. You know? And so the whole anti-doping thing, you know, that extends for us to the horses as well. Mm. And a, a big part of that, I'd say, is more focused on the welfare of the horse you know, um, you mentioned earlier some of the types of doping or, or the drugs that we could take are more kind of beta blockers or, or drugs that stop you from feeling pain or being able to continue with, yeah, with an injury. 
Mm. Um, again, for the rider and the horse, those are both um, would be considered doping, you know. Um, and interestingly, you know, we still do we find substances, banned substances in in everyday things, whether that be supplements or, or feed. Yeah. I'm talking about horses, but I don't call my food feed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and and a lot of it is naturally occurring. Yeah, you, you know, we talk about sesame seeds. People are still getting caught out for sesame seeds, um, and you know, cocoa tea, um, yeah. things like that. Which uh, and there's been stories about it, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I know that beta blockers, for example, are are quite prevalent in shooting yeah um for reaction and stuff like that but yeah i guess some some sports use certain ones more than others and some sports you know have more of an impact than others uh and i've, I've got a question for you go on so i, I would i i would you know put forward the premise that i think you know everyone's got some kind of advantage over another like it's not an equal playing field mm -hmm. you know physically i don't know a, a, a good example would be physically usain bolt probably has much better um you know physiological structure than a lot of other runners mm -hmm. right much better you know muscle growth well but all those things like that's an advantage um and that's something you're born that's something you can't control for sure, yeah. Um, other advantages include, you know, your resources for training, mm -hmm. um, your time for training, your support for training, how much yep. knowledge you have about training and optimal training and optimizing your training and performance, mm -hmm. which comes down to education. Again, comes down to resources and time and opportunity. Those are mm -hmm. all advantages and disadvantages, right? Your access to an optimal nutritional plan mm -hmm. you know your access to physios and doctors and everything that could help you recover uh, and equipment you know even if you're a runner like running shoes make a massive difference yeah for sure why is it an unfair advantage when it's a drug to be honest with you it's this is a good question and actually i was going to ask you this as well which <laughs> is quite funny i into we I've been, I've actually been asked this, not directly um, how you asked me, but I guess in, in a roundabout way, my answer back then was, um, I guess it would depend on, like you say, the resources that are available to people. Um, why then is drug... Uh, I would say my answer would be because there is more of a risk of health. And I think that ultimately is, as people suggest, and I know, I think it would be interesting to, to hear your counterpoint, but the main reason why people, or at least there are organizations to ban substances is because they are either harmful for your health or they don't offer a good public image. But I think the question that you pose is really interesting because then ultimately 
the reason why people might do them is not necessarily just to be the best for their ego, but to provide for the family that they're trying to support. Um, when people ask me, are drugs fair in sport? And I'm not just talking about sport here. I want to take this outside of the realm of sport. People outside of sport use drugs all the time to enhance their performance. And I'm not just talking about sport. I know of, yeah, multiple, I know of multiple people who work in the banking industry who must like take microdosing and everything. Everything, right? everything yeah. under the sun. And I had a a discussion, not not an argument with a, with a, with a good friend about this a couple of months ago, and he said to me, "But surely um, their health is more important, and you know it doesn't look good for the sport, and it's not fair, and so on and so forth." Which is the question you've posed to me. Neither is genetics. Neither is good genetics. Neither is having the resources to have a good coach. That's not fair, but people still have it you know so why is it fair that people are allowed to take drugs well my argument was how if you were a banker and you came in one day you're working 16 hour weeks you're absolutely knackered and someone said to you if you take this pill you'll double your salary every year would you do it yeah 100 percent. all exactly. things being equal 100 percent. exactly so then the question would be, well, let's flip it on its head. And if you had someone who, I don't know, maybe grew up in what's a, a poor country right now, I'm somewhere like Romania or UK, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> bit, that's a bit too close to home. Um, you know, let, let's just say a country. I'm not going to, we won't go into, uh, let's just say you live in a country that where, you know, you're, you're not very well off at all. Uh, your family struggled to survive, but you're very good at sports. And potentially, if you do really well, you could get lots of money and you could provide for your family. So to flip it on its head, then if I'm your coach and I give you a tab tablet or a needle and I say, if you take this and you win gold at the Olympics and we will pay you, don't worry, we'll pay you and you have access to all the resources you want, would you do it? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's one of the um, reasons why doping is so still so prevalent and why it will never, ever not be a part of sport. Yeah, I mean, yeah. To clarify your point, you know, obviously someone <clears throat> born in Warsaw in Syria has much less of a chance and opportunity and resources to be a 100-meter runner than someone um, who just got a scholarship to go to college in the US to run, mm. you know? And, and, you know, we see that a lot now as well, you know, um, boys from Polynesian islands who want to play rugby mm. and end up rugby being such a financial impact to their life and to their family. And they end up, you know, moving to either Australia or New Zealand or moving to Europe to play rugby professionally, to be able to earn money and, provide for the family who have yeah. nothing you know <clears throat> and <coughs> excuse sorry. me sorry and <laughs> yeah so it's just getting a bit emotional but <laughs> you know to to, uh, it, to play devil's advocate yeah. and you know me um 
you know, you say that uh, risk to health mm-hmm. or uh, a negative impact on your health through taking performance enhancing drugs. And that's, and I think that is a valid reason to, to, you know, put a ban on it or to control it or to limit it. But equally, I think, okay, I'll ride horses as a sport. That's the game. Um, I feel like in doing my sport, I have more chance of falling off and breaking my neck and, you know, having bad health consequences through that than doping. You know, a rugby player probably, uh, I mean, I would strongly argue would be, have a much higher chance, you know, having brain injuries through multiple concussions just by playing the sport, just the nature of the game than from doping. And, you know, we, if we start going into that through every sport, injuries through every sport, whether that be acute or chronic or traumatic, you know, every sport, especially to an elite elite level Mm. carries with it quite a high risk of, of injury and, and damage and bad health, you know? Um, I'd say a lot more than doping does. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you. Um, personally, I don't, I mean, I don't know what is, but personally, I don't think that, that having, and this is going to sound controversial, but I don't think that personally, um, anti-doping is to avoid people having adverse health conditions. I don't, that's my controversial opinion. I think it's far, I think it's far deeper than that. You know, the main thing is that it potentially, if someone does court, and I want to go back to the, the point that you mentioned right at the start about Lance Armstrong, the public image of what happened between Lance Armstrong being, what was it, a five time Tour de France winner, six time Tour de France winner. And then within the space of one week, if that, every single thing just came crumbling his public image you know yes he was this testicular cancer survivor oh my god he's won six um you know seven tour de france thank you very much for correcting me you know he's won seven (laughs) tour de france's and i'm not discrediting him for doing that because the fact that he managed to win even just seven not not one seven that don't don't lie. Like everybody in that field must have been doping. So he not only was he doping, he was the best of those dopers. Let's best not the dopers. let's not beat around best this bush. Dopers. Let's not beat around this bush. But the thing is that when when he went on Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey, sorry, he knew what was going to happen. He knew the repercussions, and that public image that he now portrays, I think, is far more detrimental to organizations to athletes to coaches than it is to have adverse health conditions yeah because you know (laughs) i'm not being funny i'm pretty sure going back to this banker analogy that if you were getting paid 50k a year and someone told you take this tablet and you were getting paid 150k a year you wouldn't give a shit or most people wouldn't and I, I think if you ask most, most athletes, why don't you take drugs are oh, because of the health conditions. I don't think that would, yeah. I don't think that would be a factor. 
Um, yeah, and, and you know, going back to yeah, the example of <clears throat> Lance Armstrong encapsulates it quite well. The in terms of kind of an advantage and an unfair advantage, and what's what, mm. and like you say, you know, everyone was doping. You know, it wasn't just Lance Armstrong; it was the next nine cyclists on the podium as well. Yeah. So, you know, as a counterfactual, if you didn't dope, that would mm. be a disadvantage. You know, and <laughs> yeah. but uh, it, we can go deeper than that. Like, aside from doping, you know, all the other advantages and disadvantages that we spoke about before that are one out of our control and two very much impacts our performance in the sport whether that be genetic financial environment you know all mm. of those things that might give you a leg up or give yeah. you a boost in the playing field if doping could be a way of leveling that that'd be pretty cool <laughs> just spitballing <laughs> here but um <laughs> But you know, I know where yeah, you're going I'll, with that. I know, that I know you. where you. I know where you're going uh, with that. Yeah, in the sense that, you know. Oh, okay. So first of all, I don't know who agreed that top level sport, say the Olympics, for example, should be a display of the best natural talent, mm. which it isn't now anyway. With the amount of knowledge that we have and the amount of optimization that we do like elite athletes aren't natural in any sense of the word you know the, uh, the regimented lifestyle and everything we know about you know optimizing training and nutrition and recovery and all of those things paired with the resources that we have with equipment with technology you know that again help optimize performance yeah we're going further and further away from from natural like a couple of guys running barefoot on a track you know like that's not what the sport is anymore yeah so yeah you know there there are disadvantages in, in all of those fields and and it, as a thought experiment you know doping or, or using specific drugs would be could be some kind of level leveler and then another thing i wanted to bring up and i don't know what you think about this like within the field of say uh bioethics and, and medical ethics there's a constant sort of debate on where we draw the line between therapy and enhancement mm. and that's often obviously from a quite a public health perspective in terms of you know how we allocate resources so that we are actually using uh technology and medicine for treatment and for therapy rather than enhancing already healthy individuals but quite a straightforward example and a, a personal one for me like my brother uh, i'm sure he wouldn't mind me talking about it but my younger brother he grew up with a disease that uh one of the effects was that he didn't naturally produce growth hormones um so from quite a young age he was taking human growth hormones you know he was prescribed growth hormones and taking it uh until he was i think 16 17 maybe 18 um and the guy's taller than me man why have you not you gone know? into weightlifting <laughs> <laughs> go on 
This guy's no, this guy's taller than me. I didn't know that. Much taller than me. Yuan. Yuan Su. Yuan is shout out, Yuan. But yeah, this this guy ended up getting not even just a bit taller than me. Like since I was 16, he was already taller than me, but he was still being prescribed birth hormones. Yeah. And you know, so a lot of things like this, like it's quite a fluid threshold or if it even is a threshold or you draw the line somewhere as to where okay you're now deemed a healthy individual yeah yeah and whatever you take now is is performance enhancing mm. you know um to to yeah i i get what you mean because you know a couple of podcasts ago we mentioned about putting a limit on the level of testosterone that people are allowed in certain sports um, naturally occurring and, and so on and so forth. And it, it is a slippery slope argument. You know, it's a case of, well, at what point does it class, is it classed as fair or, you know, continue to have yeah. integrity in the sport? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a really good example, you know, because ultimately it is used as therapy. You know, a lot of these drugs were invented or discovered or concocted and are still used in therapy. Um, I was once told a story, this was years ago, that one of the reasons why anabolic steroids were first invented um, was because ultimately, you know, they do make the muscle uh, react to uh, training faster and and what i mean by that is they have the potential to grow bigger uh faster and so they were actually developed for old people to be able to get in and out of chairs easier because they could hypertrophy the muscle far quicker and delay atrophy of the muscle and now they're sold worldwide you know it's sold you know and and it's the same thing with ho- uh, human growth hormone you know hdh people would have developed that as a therapeutic use the same with beta blockers you know maybe it was invented when people were getting a fucking arm shot off or cut off in in wars <laughs> and so they rather than using morphine because it only works a certain amount of time people would invent a stronger version because people were in pain and they needed faster pain relief or they needed to control people's, um, you know, uh, what's it called? They needed to control people's nerves or their reaction time. And I think it, I, I really like that you brought that up. Like I actually, I got goosebumps when you were telling me because I never knew that story. And I appreciate you telling that personal story about about your brother. But uh, it's about me being short, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh i don't know it's just it's it's interesting it's interesting because yeah, i guess you know again you know when sorry i had to interrupt but like no no you to, in terms of you know it can be therapy and enhancement in certain cases sure. it's like you know in a sport where i don't know testosterone is it very much impacts directly your performance and, and yep. at least your training and your recovery for the sport say mm-hmm. weightlifting um and you know if you're a guy with extremely like significantly low testosterone it and but you do weightlifting you start competing and you realize that all these guys are way better you're like oh it's just it's because i've got low testosterone like i can't compete in weightlifting anymore you know like that's not i don't know that's not fair either but again uh, i just want to point out this point that i i'm aware that we both sound like we're extremely 
pro doping. <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't sure. know about you, but I just want to tell everyone that that's not entirely true. I mean, and no. you know, it just takes a quick Google search to see the, like we say, the health risks, and not just yeah. risks, like concrete evidence of the damage that certain uh, drugs do and, and doping regimes have done to athletes. You know, we talk about we talk about East Germany and how they had an entire government funded and organized system with their doping. And, you know, mm -hmm. with people like, you know, swimmer Rika Reinisch, um, who's signed for East Germany, I think, um, but since then has, she's been, uh, you know, reporting things like ovarian cysts and miscarriages yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. yeah, it's obviously, I mean, would, I don't have to list out all the ways in which steroids can kill you, man. Like, yeah um yeah i think i think on, if we sorry. if we um yeah i mean throughout history there's been whole systems of doping be it east germany or the soviet union or cycling teams mm -hmm. you know um, commercial professional cycling teams with sports doctors who help them dope you know mm -hmm. who shoot them up with epo or take them up to the mountains and give them blood transfusions and this whole <laughs> anti-doping system and, and i suppose yeah governance that we have in place is probably in a way quite effective in protecting athletes from that you know protecting athletes from being subjected to those systems or or being being um forced to or coerced to do certain things against their will um and that becomes mm -hmm. pretty serious when it's health related I think you know when especially when they know the health risks or when they know what certain drugs can do to them physically harm them and, and especially long term and we talk about athlete welfare um you know having a system and governance in place to sort of protect athletes from be it financial incentives or interests or you know conflicting third party interests from stakeholders of teams or, or from uh, doctors who might be complicit with these things or, or facing their own pressures themselves through pressures from, again, stakeholders or third parties that have, again, financial economical interests and could, could sort of encourage or coerce this behavior of, of doping and taking performance stands and drugs. You know, there needs to be some kind of control and limit within that to protect the people who just play the game for a living you know yeah for sure and to take your point a little deeper i guess in terms of the financial incentive but also the health and the health uh you know the health risks i think when i when i said that a lot of people generally personally i don't think that it's the health risks associated that is the largest problem um, I want to dig a little bit deeper into that. And I think for elite athletes, obviously the difficult thing is once you start taking stuff, where does it stop? Because ultimately you're always going to need to take more to stay at the top. That's the most difficult thing is that, yes, there probably are, there probably is a, a certain amount that you could take that would be deemed as maybe not safe, but, you know, within regulation, like within, uh, 
you know, less likely to have health risks. It's like taking fucking 10 paracetamol versus one, you know, you would know the yeah. risk. You don't yeah. take 10 because that's silly. You take one or two. And that's just a rule, you know, you know that. Um, but then the problem is as people, you know, who might get hooked on stuff like marijuana or cocaine or whatever, it gets to the point where they need to continue to keep, if it's regular, if it's regular, they need to continue to keep taking more. And I guess it's called chasing the high, right? Um, and now the problem as well with that is a lot of elite athletes will have, if they are doping, pretty good systems in place to one, avoid anti-doping if it's possible. And two, to know how much they're taking within a safe uh, environment with a sports doctor or whoever it might be. But that if you then make a lot of these drugs commercially available to recreational athletes, they have no idea when, how, what to take. And so that is, I think, not even involved in, you know, in sports. I'm not just talking about people who are recreational athletes. I'm talking about people who just do weightlifting, people who just do athletics or, and they don't care about being world champ because they never will be, but they're still willing to take the drugs because they want to feel better. They want to be, they want to improve faster whatever reason. And I guess the, um, the ethical side of that is that uh, probably one of the reasons why they try to avoid it, because if it gets into the mainstream, which it has, people have no idea when to stop. And if it's not regulated, as you say, um, you know, it's like the wild west. The what? Sorry. Like the wild west. Yeah, for sure. You know, people are taking shit. I I remember seeing a study that was done in the UK um, that surveyed uh, gyms in the UK, just your everyday gyms, so sort of your gen pop gyms, be your pure gyms or whatever. And and yeah, you know, everyday gym goes. And they found that almost, if not more than 10%, of, of um, people that they interviewed were admitted to be on some kind of drug, 10%. like some kind of steroid. 10% is a big number of general population gym goes. Do you know how many, steroids. how big the sample size was? Uh, I can pull it up. That's crazy though. I mean, the yeah. first, the first nationwide survey for steroid abuse in the UK surveyed 21 gyms throughout Britain, found that 8% of respondents admitted to having taken some kind of steroid at some time. And that's just admitted. (laughs) Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, 5% of these were current users. Uh, 9.1% of them were men. And Mm. yeah, like you say, that's just people who've admitted to taking. And Interesting point. Interesting point that you just made there that that the highest number was was men, right? Why? Yeah. Why is you that? Tell me, I don't know. No, neither do I. I mean, you want to get jacked. We we could probably hazard a guess, right? We could probably hazard a guess because we have this toxic, like, 
worldview that a man should be emotionally, physically, and mentally strong, right? And I know that I might be going massively off topic here, but genuinely, I think that's one of the reasons why males in general, apart from maybe their ego, and that's, again, probably linked, why they Absolutely. are, why, why it's more prevalent because we have this kind of toxic, toxic masculinity of, you know, you have to be mentally, physically, and um, whatever strong for your friends or your, your girlfriend or whatever it might be. And I don't know, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. I mean, I suppose a, a part of it as well, I think you're absolutely right. And I think another element of it is that, um, and I don't want to generalize too much here, but I think it's safe to say, at least for the kind of, general population gym goers the goals in general are slightly different between men and women mm. um you know a lot of guys go in wanting to just get fucking jacked <laughs> and be bodybuilders yeah. you know and they see the guy next to them lifting twice the amount of weight and looking good for the mirrors and you know they want to get to that point yeah um and you know um again generally speaking a lot of women go to the gym to to lose weight or or to get you know a better figure but don't want to be too muscular for example um and yeah. and I've, I've not looked into this but i'm sure there are things other than steroids that uh the general population gym goers use that are much more prevalent in women than than in men um i mean even like, some of like, the like weight loss pills or whatever yeah, exactly i was just about to say that Go on, yeah, sorry. I just yeah, bought it yeah. in and I was like, I know where he's going with this. I got excited. <laughs> yeah. No, that was it, yeah. Yeah, it's, no, I, I agree with you that, you know, people focus mainly on how do steroids work? How does growth hormone work? But, you know, just as we, just as we mentioned at the, at the start of the podcast, it's not performance enhancing and doping is not just steroids and, you know, testosterone. <laughs> It's anything that gives you an, an enhancement in your performance that is not currently legal in your sport. Obviously, we're talking about doping in sport. Um, but I know of some companies outside of sport that actually drug test their employees because they yeah, don't yeah, want they don't want the culture of drugs to be, yeah. you know, because again, it goes back to the point of yes, there's always that temptation. And I want to kind of get into the financial sort of thing, but Yes, there's that temptation that if you can work longer and work harder, you'll earn more for yourself and for the company. But, you know, at what point does that end? You know, you could potentially kill yourself for that company. And that, no offense, doesn't really look good for a company. You know, it also doesn't really look good if you die either, you know, or you can't work, which I think is far more important in terms of the ethical side of things. Um, but I, so I guess the reason that they have those drug tests is because it takes out the moral conflict of maybe I should take it or you can't now because you have, you get tested. So there is no moral argument. You know that if you take it and you get tested, you get fired. So it stops people from taking stuff or at least taking too much to get caught. Uh, yeah. And I'm not just talking yeah. about talking about, uh, you know, people that, that work, now, inside a sport, and I mentioned this very briefly, and we've kind of touched on this a few times, you know, why do people take it? 
why do elite athletes take it? Obviously, we've mentioned briefly because they want to win. They want to win at all costs. But is that the only reason? Is the only reason that they want to win at all costs the reason why they take it? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, well, I think there's the aspect of they want to win or they want to achieve as good a result as they can, or they want to keep up. Mm. Like, I, I mean, you keep, keep yeah. going back to cycling, but they could literally not keep up. Yeah, for sure. If they're not on test. Mm. Uh, and you know and there's also an element of kind of personal goals I suppose and if we look at say a sport like powerlifting where they have uh, where um, there's tested and non-tested federations and competitions mm. so you can go to a, comp a non-tested competition being like fully drugged up to your eyeballs <laughs> knowing that everyone else is as well yeah. you know knowing that everyone else is also fully juiced up so you know there is in a sense that there's less of an unfair advantage yeah, uh, sorry sure. not unfair there's less of an advantage yeah, yeah so why are they all shooting up because yeah. they want to lift as much as they can like mm. they want to get better numbers than last time and and um these performance science and drugs are a way in which they can can help them achieve that yeah yeah for sure yeah and again i want to kind of emphasize the point that you made and i i briefly touched on you know the whole reason why a lot of there is now such a um importance on anti-doping is i guess to have a level playing field um, but then I guess it comes also down to, well, what happens if people don't have access to the right training, you know, the right resources, uh, you know, whatever, it, whatever, um, it might be, but I heard a story when I was in Poland, uh, a few years back on a training camp. Um, one of the athletes there, uh, who I didn't know wasn't taking the camp, uh, he, professed yeah there's lots of people that i know who are taking and he was just an amateur athlete he wasn't a professional athlete he was just an amateur and he was like yeah the, i know a lot of people who who are taking you know performance enhancing drugs uh you know even i take it and i'm like but why like what's what's the point in you taking it if you don't get paid to lift and he's like because i enjoy it and i'm like Fair enough. Can't argue with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you know, we we do a lot of things that are bad for us health-wise. Yeah, we drink, we smoke. Own, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, we drink, we smoke, we eat food that's not great for you. I mean, um, and I mean, I've yeah. I've yeah, two nights in a row, so. But you live in New York, so it's all right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they were uh, like an 18, 20-inch pizza as well. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah like um, similar story you know i i remember when i was in london i met a a guy called walid who is actually one of um the top bodybuilders in egypt mm, and cool. he opened he, he had a, a bodybuilding gym in egypt and it was one of the biggest ones there and um no way yeah he was just completely open about all the steroid use um mm -hmm, of, for himself and also 
everyone at the gym who he was training who were just they weren't professional bodybuilders a lot of them were teenagers and he was showing me he showed me this picture of like a six-month transformation he was like six six months and this guy went from like just skinny skinny guy like me to mm. like absolutely stacked and shredded in six yeah. months and i was like oh wow that's amazing and he was like yeah yeah six months but use steroids and, uh, and it was just like such a passing thing and you know so i think there is quite a i think almost a, a, a cultural aspect of it mm. you know it, it's a lot more accepted in some cultures, cultures and yeah. some communities than than others and i think um you know it, it perhaps in yeah, sports where it gets tested a lot for example um mm. sports where it's under very watchful eyes of wada um and the olympic committee um people are a bit more wary or or against it um but yeah i mean i i've personally never taken performance signs of drugs mm. um i may have when i was inadvertently no 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 I, i do full well what i was doing i may have uh had some of my uh brother's excess hgh when i was younger because you know again i was jealous he was shooting up and he was taller than me it didn't he work the name of therapy and uh, it didn't work at all man <laughs> you didn't take enough uh and actually this brings me to the last point that i'm i want to make okay which is about getting caught okay because this is ultimately what doping is about and anti-doping and actually we did you didn't even lead me into this question but it's interesting that you brought that up is once someone is banned do you think it's fair that they continue to compete at that same level given that once and there is evidence to suggest this that once you have doped in short you will always be enhanced do you think it's fair that once people are caught doping, they should be allowed to compete again? I've put you properly in the hot seat here. Hold on, I, I really want to answer that question, but it, in what circumstance, like what kind of drug, for example, would you always be enhanced? Well, I mean, anything that's banned, a banned substance. You've been caught taking a banned substance, whether it be in weightlifting, it might be something like steroids or whatever it might that's be not, that's not Let, that's let's... not true though right like there are a lot of drugs where you have to keep taking otherwise yes. they wouldn't just keep taking but it. you will still have the enhancement whether it be less of the enhancement you will still always have the enhancement mm. so to, to give you an example for example if you take something like testosterone or um uh anabolic steroids uh when the muscle grows your muscle fibers add new mic uh, myonuclei so basically it makes the muscle bigger and denser just like strength training does interestingly enough um now the thing is is that if the muscle doesn't get bigger it can only fit in a finite amount of let's call it like real estate imagine your muscle is a house and if you take those performance enhancers you get a bigger house which means you have more real estate which also means that you can add more myonuclei now, if you stop taking that, your muscle just doesn't instantly go, no, none left. Sorry, you've got none left. It will still continue to stay in that state. I don't know how long for, because I'm not a physiologist, 
unfortunately. I'd love to be because I find this stuff fascinating. Not that I would ever take it, but I just find it absolutely fascinating. But I guess it's kind of that whole muscle memory thing is that you have created that pathway, let's call it, at a quicker rate. Um, And so if you come back to that, you will technically still have somewhat of an advantage if you had never taken that in the first place. So I guess on that point, do you think it's fair? Maybe let's just classify it. Obviously, someone who gets banned for like, I don't know, smoking a joint or something stupid, right? That doesn't obviously doesn't really enhance your performance, at least directly. So let's just say a weightlifter gets banned for four years because he's been caught taking SARMs, which is a specific androgen receptive modulator. So a very, very specific um, steroid. Do you think it's fair that they're allowed to come back and compete in weightlifting? Yeah. Do you? I mean... It's almost like they've served their sentence. They're, they're in prison and they're out now. Do you think so? Uh, in a... Uh, in a sort of yeah retribution sense yeah sure like they've done their time they've broken the rules and yep. that's the consequence of it in a sort of protection of the sport sense yeah. or yep. protection of other athletes or the integrity you know given that they were quote unquote sentenced um the mm-hmm. correct amount of time or the sufficient amount of time for the drug to not no longer have that much of an enhancing effect as it originally did then yeah yeah i mean people come back into elite sport for a lot worse crimes yeah yeah i agree with Um, you yeah no i i I agree with you i just find it interesting i just wanted to put you in the hot seat but i think it's always interesting people people that say this they're like oh well he was banned 10 years ago why is he still allowed to compete and you're like well he's not the only one taking drugs he just got caught (laughs) he was caught yeah exactly and i can't remember the famous sprinter he was compete justin gatlin actually said that Mm. in an interview when he got popped i'm pretty sure it was justin gatlin and he said do you think um do you think the other sprinters i can't remember who was in the race do you think the other sprinters were taking drugs and he said everyone is taking drugs at this level i just got caught and I think yeah. that's always a really interesting, I know that that's kind of a downer because ultimately that's saying to amateur athletes that it's going to be pretty difficult to get to that level if, um, or at least not enhanced. Um, I know that's quite a dire way to say things, but ultimately that is, I think, one of the reasons why anti-doping is somewhat, prevalent or has been for for many years now is Mm. because you mentioned the point of equality um and i think that's a really interesting point that it's not necessarily that it's not fair it's not necessarily that it is the health effects it's the fact that it narrows the amount of people who can potentially perform at a high level naturally Um, you know, and I don't, I don't really have any other arguments against that. That's my opinion. Do I think that drugs will always be in sport? Yeah, I do. Especially if there's financial incentives involved. 
uh, or not even financial, just wanting to be the best because you're ego driven, which is absolutely fine. If you want to be the best, like you have to have somewhat of an ego if you want to be the best at something. Right. Um, yeah, we do. <laughs> come on. The best. Part <laughs> um, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but I just think that people are calling for, well, maybe they should have like, um, maybe they should have like categories for people who can dope and people who can't dope. I don't know the argument for and against that. I don't want to get into that, I guess, because mm. I think that's murky water. Um, and then ultimately what happens if that person says, oh, hold on, I'm not taking drugs anymore. So can I compete naturally? Fuck no, you can't because you're enhanced. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately, um, and I know we've, kind of brought points to the table from both sides of the argument or, you know, all sides of the argument. I think there's yeah. more than two, but ultimately all things being equal, I think we should kind of strive to have some kind of control or limitation to doping, you know, the amount of performance enhancing drugs that we take and should be allowed to take. Yeah. Um, and I think that sits on another kind of value that we should uphold in that, in general, we should narrow or limit the amount of dis uh, unfair advantages and disadvantages yeah. that exist on the playing field. Like as much as we can level the playing field. Mm -hmm. And that is not just chemical like that. It's not just a chemical playing field. It's not just drugs. That yeah. is one aspect of it. And by all means, we should level that playing field. But as long as we're equally as committed as a community, as, as, as governing bodies, as society in general, you know, equally committed to leveling the playing field in all the other aspects, yeah, you know, sure. financial, social, economic, um, the environment and the resources and opportunities that people are able to be surrounded in and have access to. All of these things affect where they stand on that playing field and how equal and level it really is. And doping is just one of them. Yeah, I think the one of the biggest problems with doping now, and I know that we kind of have moved through so many different topics here, but for me, this really became prevalent in uh, the Netflix documentary Icarus was that ultimately doping is not necessarily now about the ethics of people taking drugs. It's about the fact that doping has gone so far that they're bribing officials, they're bribing drug testers, they're bribing athletes to take drugs they're bribing everyone under the sun and i think now the problem has moved away from the fact that people are even taking performance enhancing drugs in the first place you know that's no in my opinion that i don't think that's the biggest issue any longer in doping i think the biggest issue is what is involved outside of that the fact that people are being paid to take it the fact that people are being paid off to avoid you know testing yeah. and 
Uh, yeah, I just, I, I kind of wanted to add that point because it's not something that's really discussed that, you know, that much. And now it's just so difficult to counteract because I mentioned this off air. Um, war is far more lucrative than peace. And doping and winning medals will always be more lucrative than anti-doping. Would so. you uh, would you coach someone who doped? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, here's my answer. I'm going to be completely honest with you because you know I think it's an interesting interesting question that you ask. Ultimately, there's two reasons why I wouldn't. Number one is for obvious reasons for health um and for the fact that you know there could potentially be adverse health risks uh if it's left unchecked and then the problem it then becomes when do you stop you know you could potentially become addicted to it and so on and so forth here's the main reason and this goes back to the point of the lance armstrong argument that i think the majority of people outside of the scope of the fact that we all know that taking too many drugs is bad for us, but so is smoking and so is alcohol, uh, drinking too much alcohol, right? That's a given, okay? I think public image is the biggest thing, you know? And I'll be completely honest with you that if I found out that an athlete was was doping um, and they got caught, for me, the biggest embarrassment would be that I didn't know and that my public image now is, oh, so all of athlete, his athletes are doping. And ultimately, that comes down to my economy. That comes down to my personal wealth because if lots of people know that my athletes are doping, people aren't going to come to me for coaching because they don't, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, well, he, he's just getting his athletes on doping. You know, and that's quite a selfish view. It is a selfish view. I don't want people to take drugs because I don't want people to think I have a bad public image. Is that a but bad I think thing to that's, say? I think that's accurate. And I think that's a very accurate representation of, you know, what people will think and the general perception. And that kind of adds to the, it goes to show that, you know, public image, there's such a sort of negative um, connotation to, to, to doping whether that's right or wrong maybe rightly so and that is exactly yeah, sure. where we'll finish mic drop love that guys thank you so much for tuning into the to the to this episode of into the unknown um we hope you enjoyed the last podcast with uh rupert young from queen mary's barbell we've got some fantastic guests lined up in cool, the next cool. couple of podcasts so we are very excited for that I won't give too many, too much uh, details away, but we hope that you... Like, yeah, this is just to warm you up. It's just to warm you up. Uh, Butter you up. Hopefully we did a good job. Uh, if you guys have got any questions about what we discussed or you want to kind of counterpoint to that or you have something to add, uh, we would love your feedback. Uh, we, you know, we appreciate you guys kind of getting involved in the podcast as well, not just listening, yeah, but, you know, actually being kind of active listeners um but yushuan that was brilliant uh yeah don't have much to say thank you guys for listening we'll catch you on the next episode bye so yushuan do you want to plug where people can find you 
Yeah, so on Instagram, I am at yushuan.su.eventing. On Facebook, I am yushuan.su.eventing. And my website is suyushuaneventing.com. What about you, Connor? Mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on Instagram and at Stoic Strength Systems on Instagram. And we was also just set up a Patreon under the same name, Stoic Strength Systems. So give those a follow. I will put the links all down in the description if I figure out how to do it. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you like, share and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.